Hello and welcome to our podcast, Just Us, a podcast about racial reconciliation and justice from a Christian perspective. We are privileged today to have a truly distinguished guest, Erin Jones. And if I were to tell you all about Erin and all the things that she has accomplished, it would take our whole time, so I won't do that. Let me just say that her past and present include such things as being a professional athlete, a statewide political candidate, a teacher, an educational administrator, a consultant, uh, one of the most popular public speakers around the country, and a consultant, educational administrator, and uh, I know that the designation that she prefers the most is a follower of Jesus. I want to say a word about another one, though. She is an author. And this book is an absolutely wonderful book. It is called Bridges to Heal Us, Stories and Strategies for Racial Healing by Erin Jones. Stories and Strategies really sums up this book. It has compelling stories of Erin's life. And um, she's a great storyteller. And Strategies for breaking down barriers and healing that, yes, focus on race, but really are principles that are applicable to all of life when we are in relationships. And I'll tell you that there were more than one, there was more than one place in this book where it brought tears to my eyes. One is a story from when she was 15 years old and after life in Europe, came to America and was deplaning in Washington, D.C. And that's all I'm going to tell you because you have to read the book to see the rest of the story. Erin, we are so happy to have you here today. And we've been assigned a topic that is a controversial one, as you well know right now, and that is critical race theory, which has kind of become like a four-letter word. Just on my news feed uh, this weekend, I saw a picture of a, a school board meeting in Southern California where I used to live. And here are people holding up signs, ban CRT, no more critical race theory. And yet I wonder if people really know what critical race theory even is. So that's my first question to you. What is critical race theory? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. And I would say um, I, on TikTok, follow school board meetings. I am <laughs> such a, an education nerd that um, my, probably my favorite thing to watch is school board meetings. And right now, probably 80% of school boards are taking up this issue of critical race theory. But I have not yet met anyone who hates critical race theory who can actually define it for me. <laughs> um, and so it's really clear that this has become a third rail, but it's one that people don't even understand. So I'm going to read you the definition of critical race mm -hmm. theory. And, and I want to offer that as someone who's been doing work around racial equity and culturally responsive practice for the last 15 years, I did not even know what critical race theory was until it became this four-letter word. <laughs> um, it was not something that I studied in college. It was not something that I based my work on. 
Um, and so I had to go and do some research. But here's the definition of critical race theory. It's an intellectual approach to looking at US society with the belief that racism is at the core of laws and institutions. And some critical terms to think about, race, I think a lot of Americans don't really understand what race is, what the actual word race means. And I tell people all the time, race is a social construct. It's a created thing. And race was created not in the United States. It was actually created by a Portuguese sailor who wanted to figure out how to justify colonization. And I don't remember the name of this person, but he wrote a paper that said, you know, these people can be colonized and these people can be the colonizer in the 1400s. And that was how they justified. And that was the origin story for this thing that we now call race. But race is the stories that we tell about skin color. And it's a social construct. And it still has power because we now in this country, from our foundation, wrote laws based on who could own property, who could be owned, who could be property. Mm -hmm. um, and so critical race theory is this notion that, and it is a, it's a study that is done at not even an undergrad. Mm -hmm. It's a study that's done at graduate level programs. And it's a way, Kimberly Crenshaw and Derek Bell wrote the first kind of seminal book about critical race theory back in, they started doing work in the 70s, but they wrote their, their work really in the 80s. And the reason they wrote their work is they said, we've done all of this civil rights litigation Brown versus Board of Education to all of these voting laws, and still there are disproportionate negative impacts on black and brown communities. Mm -hmm. And critical race theory was a way to look at law and to say, even when we're writing law that's supposed to benefit black and brown people, black and brown people are still being harmed by institutions. And so it was a theory. It's a way to look at law and practices and try to figure out how do we tell counter narratives? How do we tell different stories about race? How do we really interrogate? How do we ask questions of institutions and um, legislation to make sure that it doesn't have these negative impacts on people? And that's really the point of critical race theory. It's not to say all white people are bad. It's not to say that every white person is racist. That's not at all. And in fact, it says institutions are founded in racism, not people. That's not. And so what I'm hearing as I travel the country, and I've been in five states just in the last three weeks, what I'm hearing is this idea that critical race theory targets people, and it's, it's telling white children they're bad. And that is a fallacy. That's just not true. It's not accurate. And so there are far too many people that have bought into a false message without asking enough questions. <laughs> so let me see if I'm understanding you. Uh, critical race theory, then, is an academic usually at the graduate level exercise that attempts to understand the disparities that we find right. in society, not simply by what individuals do, but by seeing if there are systems, policies, laws that perpetuate and or exacerbate uh, these kinds of disparities, even if they're well-meaning. Absolutely. Uh, and the, and I, I want to point to one law that everyone knows about, Brown versus Board of Education, which is the law that desegregated schools, which seems like a really great thing. And do you know that 40,000 black teachers lost their jobs with Brown versus Board? Because what happened is when desegregation happened, white families didn't want their children to have black teachers. So what happened to those teachers that had been teaching in all black schools? They were pushed out. Now suddenly you have black children in classrooms with white teachers who actually don't believe that black children have potential. 
So when I talk to my friends who are still alive today, they're in their mm -hmm. 60s and 70s, who went to all black schools, one of the things they tell me is, Aaron, when I went to my all black schools in Tennessee or Georgia or Texas, I always had teachers who believed we could be magnificent. And then with desegregation, what happened is you had teachers who didn't necessarily, didn't understand black communities and didn't believe black students could do amazing things. And so even though I believe Brown versus Board was meant to do really great things, it ushered a whole population of black teachers out of the classroom who have never returned, by the way. We've never been able to recoup those teachers. Um, and then it created situations for black students where they no longer had role models in their classrooms. They no longer had people who understood their, the way they spoke and the way they did life, um, who didn't believe that they could be amazing in the same ways that, you know, lady or man who lived in the neighborhood knew they could have, they could do amazing things and knew their grandmothers, knew their grandfathers, knew their, their family. So they're, just in that one law being shifted, so much negative came, but I would offer that there were really great intentions by the lawmakers. Sure. <laughs> Let me ask you something else. There is all this controversy, and as you, you mentioned, a lot of it happens at school boards. Is critical race theory really something that's being taught in kindergartens and elementary schools? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think, and this is where, because we are Jesus folks, this is what really breaks my heart the most. I think there is a weaponization of critical race theory as a political point. Um, there's a lot of dishonesty. And so I think there are people that have conflated, that have made critical race theory the same as the teaching of history, a more full American history. They've made it the same thing and then said it's all the same thing and so we just can't do that. And I think that's being dishonest. I think what a lot of teachers, black teachers, white teachers, indigenous teachers, Latinx teachers are saying is we have to begin telling the, Amer the full American story, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the American story that includes all of our stories, that doesn't just center the white narrative. And what is being said is that that is critical race theory, and it's not. It's just mm -hmm. wanting to be honest about our history. And so I think, especially as believers in Christ, who say we're committed to truth, we need to be honest. <laughs> and buying into this lie that critical race theory is the true telling of American history, that those two are the same thing, is really problematic. Why is it important for Christians especially to want our history to be told honestly? You know, before the podcast, you and I were talking about the Bible. And... Um, the Bible is a true telling of history, of our history as people. Mm -hmm. There are good, bad, and ugly bits in the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There are things mm -hmm. that are, you know, I still don't understand how God, a loving God, could destroy a whole world during the flood of Noah, right? And yet, that's the story that we're told. There are stories of God asking people to destroy whole towns of unbelievers, I don't understand that part of, of our story, and yet it's a part of our We didn't take that piece out of the Bible because we didn't like it. So I think what we say in church is we need to read the whole Bible, the New Testament and the Old Testament. And then in, in life we say, but we don't want to tell the whole story of our history. I think that's really, it's hypocritical 
um, we're not living out our faith. I think by living out our faith, we need to be willing to say, we are human beings just like the men and women of the Old Testament. We are human beings just like the disciples. We have committed atrocities and we've lived well and everything in the middle. And for all of us, it will benefit us. The Bible talks so much about truth and the importance of truth and embracing truth. This is our opportunity to embrace truth. And one of the things I believe is I believe until we're willing to face our truths, we can't actually be healed mm-hmm. of the, the harm that has been caused. And so I, it's kind of like an infection. As a basketball player, you know, I've actually more as a soccer player, I can remember falling on the ground and getting gravel in my knee. I fell in Dusseldorf, Germany once and got gravel all up in my knee. And I remember having to go to the ER and they had to pull the rocks out of my knee because what they said is if we leave any of that gunk in your knee, it's going to get infected. And, and there was a piece that got left in my knee. And so they had to go in later and pull it out. And it really, really hurt. And, and they had to dig it out and, and spray some disinfectant on it. But eventually the knee healed. I think America mm-hmm. is like me with my knee, but it never got the rocks pulled out. And now people are saying, but we don't want the rocks pulled out because that'll hurt. And I'm saying, but you have an infection that's going to cost you your leg. If we don't take the rocks out, you're going to lose your whole leg. And that's where I believe America is right now, is, mm-hmm. is if we're willing to let the doctors pull those rocks out and spray some antiseptic, it's really going to hurt. It's really going to be uncomfortable. And we can save the leg. My fear is that we're going to try to live with the rocks in our leg and not get it cleaned out. And we're going to end up having to have that leg amputated. And I feel like that's the analogy, the picture that I have in my head right now of where we are as a nation. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is that's driving the fear that causes people to be so concerned about honest history and to use CRT as uh, kind of a weapon and uh, um, you might say a, a straw person. Yeah. Uh, what is what is driving that fear that's causing this? So, one of the things I've noticed in schools over the last three years since the pandemic started is more. There have been more attacks on Black students and trans students than I've ever seen in my 32 years in education. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of teachers have asked, you know, why are why are people more angry right now? Why are they more afraid? I think all of this started maybe before the pandemic to a certain extent, but it was accelerated because I think when people are really afraid, they find their quote-unquote tribe. They find their people, and they attack whatever is not their people. And that's what people do in fear. And I think we as, as people of faith, who are supposed to live without fear, need to be embracing that life without fear. And instead, we have bought right into the human I mean, it's human to be afraid. And yet, with Christ, we are to live without fear. Christ is supposed to be our support. Christ is supposed to be our way maker. And what I would encourage listeners is, man, we as, as Christians have gotten so caught up in the human fear that we are attacking all kinds of things, whether it's critical race theory or trans rights or women's rights. We are attacking everything. And what that tells me is, is our faith is waning, is that we have lost our faith in Christ. And I think, I think this happens with human beings when there's great tragedy. And the, the pandemic was a great tragedy. And we lost people. And it was terrifying. And people lost jobs. And 
Um, just everything is, is in an upheaval. And I think upheaval is a great opportunity to find God and to trust God for our way. And, and so I think I would love to give people an invitation. Instead of being afraid and attacking other things, where could you focus more on God and trusting him for our way forward? Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about the honest history in the Bible, it seems to me that if we try to blot out honest history, one of the things we lose is the inspiration mm -hmm. of the heroes that have always been on God's side trying to break down those barriers. Mm -hmm. And unless we tell the whole story, we miss hearing about those stories as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what I love about the Bible, you know, there, I have some friends that just love reading the New Testament. Um, I love reading the Old Testament. I mean, there are bits of the Old Testament that I just really don't understand, but I still try to read through the Old Testament once every year. And I love the stories of David and the, the stories of Ezra and Esther. And they are all perfectly human. People who got lost at points on the way and were incredibly courageous at points who forgot to ask God for permission and then had to come back and, and ask for forgiveness. And we miss those stories also when we're, we miss the humanity of those characters when we don't tell the fullness. We as human beings are fallible. And when we're connected to God in really intimate ways, we can do amazing things. And if we're not willing to tell our full story, we're going to miss those opportunities to be brilliant and to be the best version of ourselves and to be a great witness to the United States. I think we are a terrible witness right now. I think we as a people have a really horrible witness right now to the unbeliever. And that is tragic to me. That's the greatest tragedy of this current moment in time. I noticed in your book that when you talked about critical race theory and you've defined it so well for us here, you mentioned that your work has not been based on critical race theory, it's been something different. I'd like to know what is the essence of the work that you've done to build bridges and break down barriers, and also how it relates to your faith in Jesus. So um, there are three postures that I talk about in the book, and um, I think one of the differences between how I do the work I do and how other folks who do training in race and equity do their work I think we've given people a lot of terms and terminology and definitions and, and even history. I, as a teacher, as a longtime teacher and a mom and a former youth pastor's wife, I've been working with people for 32 years. I believe that the, the missing piece is our humanity. And so how do I give people the emotional tools and the intellectual tools to be able to hold all this knowledge that I want to give them? And so, um, you know, when I look at the Bible, one of the, the pieces of the Bible that I love so much is, is gratitude, this idea of gratitude and gratefulness and being mm -hmm. grateful, even in the midst of really tough times. I think about Job's life and, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, everything's falling apart and yet he still seeks to serve God. And that to me is, is gratitude. And I did not write this book as a Christian book, although I wrote it through the lens of being mm -hmm. a Jesus girl. And so I, I start by talking about the power of gratitude. And here's the beautiful thing about this. I have another Christian friend who got her PhD. She works in public education. She got her PhD at a public institution on the topic of gratitude. And here's what I love about God. 
the Bible aligns with science. And she, when she studied the science of gratitude, what she learned is that when we are grateful every day, when we make it a habit every single day, it literally changes the dendrites in our brain, and they will reform to create a positive neural network. And here's what I think is so cool about that. God designed us in such a way that if we actually did the things that he told us to do, it would change our brain chemistry. And so one of the first things that I invite people to in the book, but also in the training I do, is Let's be grateful, even in the really horrible moments, even in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of political tension. Find a moment every day to think about the things that you're grateful for and do that. And this will help you see all of the craziness of the world through a positive lens. And I think that's something that I do foundationally different than a lot of other people is we've got to start with this positive framing. So um, gratitude is really important to me. Being brave is also really important to me. And I think we see evidence of that in the Bible everywhere. Every character in the Bible demonstrates brave and and courage. And I I tell people all the time, courage and bravery actually require fear. They don't happen in the absence of fear. They happen when you're afraid. Wow, I don't know if I can do this. Courage is saying, yes, with God, I can do all things. right? And so part of this work is embracing courage and bravery. And for me, what that means is I have to be willing to be vulnerable with people. I can't ask people to do what I'm not willing to do. And so my book is really laying my life bare, which is why you talked about stories that made you cry. They make me cry. I have to be willing to tell some of the most difficult stories in my life if I'm going to invite you, if I'm going to expect you to be willing to go that deep in your life. I have to first model that. And so I hope with the book and with all the work I do to always lead with my own vulnerability. I hope to always lead by um, embracing discomfort, This work is uncomfortable. Just like getting the rock scraped out of my knee, doing this work, having these conversations is uncomfortable. Having babies was uncomfortable. I have three children. (laughs) Having babies is not comfortable, and they're beautiful, right? So discomfort is required to birth something beautiful, and so um, part of being courageous is, is embracing discomfort. Another thing that I think I do that I think those who um, promote critical race theory don't always model this so well. I think we as Americans don't model this so well. But I try to not play the shame, blame, guilt game. I think shame, blame, and guilt have created a huge wall between us and them, whoever us is and whoever them is. And so part of my work is we have to stop doing the shame, blame, guilt thing. We have to stop doing it to others and I find lots of white people who are very scared to talk about race do it to themselves. They don't even want to engage in the conversation because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And then when they do, oh, I'm such a bad person, I just said the wrong thing. Let's not do shame, blame, and guilt even towards ourselves. I think we can get Mm -hmm. caught up in life. And the Bible talks about this too. We can get caught up in life and beating ourselves up and I mean, God says, ask me for forgiveness, and I will give it to you. So we have to live that out in our actual lives, even around this topic. So gratitude is one. Two, um, I call them brave spaces, but really embracing bravery and courage every day as you move through the world. And then the last one, like pausing and just breathing and being still. Mm-hmm. And God talks about the power of be still and know mm-hmm. that I'm God. Right? Take a sabbatical. Take a Sabbath day. I think so often... As we move through the world, and social media has definitely contributed to this, we think we need to respond to everything right in the moment, in the heat of the moment. And what I know to be true as someone who's over 50, as someone who's taught for over 30 years, 
In the moment when we're really emotional, we don't say the most thoughtful things. And so I would invite people to just pause. When you feel yourself getting emotional, when you're not sure what to say, when you're angry, just pause. You don't actually have to respond in the moment. In fact, you don't have to respond at all. And imagine if every politician and every pastor, every business leader, every parent just paused even for 10 seconds before they responded to that thing that upset them. Imagine how differently our engagement would be. Mm-hmm. And so for me, those are three, just three practical ways that I try to embody in the book and then try to embody in my work and in how I move through the world every day that I think could really benefit us in great ways. Mm-hmm. We're drawing near to the end of our time together, Erin. What are some of the things I should have asked you that I haven't? Hmm. So I think the the one thing is I was on my way here, I was drawn back to the New Testament where one of the disciples asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? You know, all the, he's this, all the commandments and, you know, you've said this. And, and Jesus says that you shall love your, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. Mm-hmm. And I want to invite listeners. You can't love someone you don't know. And so for those of you who are white, you have no black or brown friends or indigenous friends. You have no trans or gay friends. You don't actually know anybody personally. And and I would invite, this may sound really controversial and tough, just because you sit next to someone in church does not mean you know them. Mm -hmm. You cannot love someone truly that you don't know. And so my invitation to you is, I want you to think about the circle that you're in. Who's in your world every day? Who are you following on social media? Who's eating in your home? Whose home are you eating in? If all of those people look like you, I dare you to step outside that box and begin to do life with some people who are very different from you. And it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they believe or think, but I absolutely believe it's in relationship. And and Jesus modeled this with the disciples. They did life together. They got to know each other. They were very different. They didn't all come from the same place. They didn't all come from the same family. And and they modeled this being in life together and sometimes getting upset with each other and sometimes failing each other. We have got to be willing to do life with other people. And so for those who would say, well, I don't see color, and why do we always have to talk about race? First of all, we're not always talking about race. Typically, people are avoiding conversations mm-hmm, about race. Mm-hmm. Black people will talk about race with each other, but we have learned that we can't talk about it in mixed company. White folks just don't want to talk about race at all, and we're told as young people, you know, anyone who's over over 50 was taught, just don't talk about it. That's an off, We just can't talk about race or sex or politics in mixed company. I would invite you, we are only going to get good at this if we practice it. I'm an athlete. I, I am, was a basketball player for 40 years. I'm a runner now. Running sucks every time. I ran mm-hmm. seven and a half miles yesterday. The first mile is awful every single time. And I'm fast and I'm an athlete. And it still is awful. This conversation is going to be awful right now. And it's going to be really uncomfortable. And getting into relationship with people who are different from you is going to be really uncomfortable. And you're not going to have the language yet. And you'll never get it if you don't practice. So I, I want to invite people to practice, and it means getting outside of your little home and your little comfort zone, and you're going to make mistakes. And, okay, that's part of being human. 
Um, but we're not going to get good if we're not willing to get involved. And so get involved. And if you're not sure where, um, just start following some people on social media. If you're not sure where, go visit some churches that don't look like yours. That's a great way to start. Mm -hmm. um, another challenge that I give to teachers, I do a lot of training of teachers. I tell people, look in your community at all the restaurants. Go and just start eating in restaurants that serve food that you've never had before. And just be a student of the people there. So watch. How do people engage one another? How do adults talk to children? How do the genders interact? What are the gender norms in that space? Just begin to watch. And through that watching, begin to build empathy and realize that your way is not the right way. Your way is just a way. And what if we were to all get curious about one another and be willing to, to admit, I don't know. There's so much I don't know. And I don't have all the right answers. And I think when we are willing to just get curious and lay down our own human tendencies, that's where we find love. And that's where we're able to manifest God's love in the most powerful ways. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you one more question about critical race theory. Yeah. Kind of a case study. Let's say that I am going to a school board meeting and I'm a parent and I have heard that a number of other parents are riled up and are going to be raising this issue of critical race theory and what's being taught to our children in the meeting. Mm -hmm. And I've heard you talk, and I understand what the issues are and what critical race theory really is and is not. So I'm going to go to this school board meeting, and I already know what these people are going to be doing. What would your advice be to me? How should I handle that? So I think there's a couple of things that I would invite people to do. Man, there are some organizations right now, Moms for Liberty is one, the Heritage Foundation is another one, that are... They are intent on fighting against critical race theory, mm -hmm. fighting against all mention of gender equity anyway. Mm -hmm. There are some organizations. Get to know who those organizations are. And then I would challenge people to say, I mean, aren't there some real issues we need to be fighting in schools? I mean, there are children coming to school without food mm -hmm. and without clothing. Because this really the thing that we need to be fighting. Let's look at the data and figure out how many kids are houseless right now. Like how much time and energy have we invested in this boogeyman? And kids are dying all around us. Teachers are dying. Teachers are leaving the profession in droves because they're being told what they can and cannot teach in ways that has never happened in my 32 years in education. And so I, I would tell parents that, that are realizing, oh, wait, maybe I've been wrong or I've learned this new thing. Go to those meetings. Use the public forum to speak up. And then after the meeting, find two or three people that you can engage and talk to. And you're not going to convince anyone in one conversation. But mm -hmm. use your voice to educate. Use your social media to educate as much as possible. And I don't know if you have, um, if I can add links, but I have a couple links that I would love to share with you oh, all. Oh, absolutely. That you could we put, would love to yes, do that. Yes, that give you the definition of critical race theory mm -hmm. that you can feel free to share. Um, because I think knowledge is power. And mm -hmm. so for any parents that are willing to show up at school board meetings and be that counter provide that counter-narrative, I think that is really critical. And then the other thing I would tell you is 
we need some people who are willing to run for school board and lead mm -hmm. on school boards. And, and so if you are someone who's willing to really center the needs of, our, of all students, please consider running for school board. Um, because we have some of these organizations that are, they're being disingenuous and dishonest and they have, I don't even know what their intentions are, who are raising up people to just destroy education. And I, I love Christian schools. We're obviously sitting on the campus of your Christian school. Mm -hmm. I love them. And I don't think Christian schools are the answer for our country as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so I absolutely believe if we want the United States of America to be a nation that where everyone can thrive, we have to have thriving public institutions. And so all of us should have a vested interest in making sure that every child gets a great opportunity for a great public education. And so please consider running for school boards. We need really great people who love Jesus and who are willing to be honest to run for those positions. Erin, thank you so much for coming and being with us today. I am so pleased with what you are doing around the country. And it is a real testimony to not only your commitment and uh, your story, but what Jesus is doing through you. Mm -hmm. And we really appreciate that. Again, I want to remind you of this book, Bridges to Heal Us, Stories and Strategies. And I will tell you that the stories are compelling and the strategies are helpful. And dare I say this, it's on Amazon. And if you get the Kindle edition, I like to use Kindle so I can read on my phone wherever I am. It's actually only $10, which is a steal. <laughs> that it is. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Well, for thank you very much for being with us, Aaron. And we hope that you will join us next time for our podcast, Just Us. Thank you for being with us. <laughs>